Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, recorded on Thursday the 18th of January and brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind and with permission of the Worcester News. I'm Pippa Curtis and the team this week comprises Michael and John as our recording engineers, Carol and her wonderful team on copying and admin, and our readers today are Catherine. Hello. And Phil. Hello. And first of all, I would like to apologise on behalf of all of us here at Worcester Talking Newspapers for the... OK, um, Michael, do you want to be Michael with a surname? Mike, Michael, how would you like to be? Uh, Michael, please. Michael, and uh, just Michael and John. Can I do you just John? Sure. Yeah. OK. And you're happy to be a team? Didn't, I didn't want to say, you know, Mike, our learner. I thought it was a bit... <laughs> OK. Off we go. <clears throat> Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, recorded on Thursday the 18th of January and brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind and with permission of the Worcester News. I'm Pippa Curtis and the team this week comprises Michael and John as our recording engineers, Carol Hartle and her wonderful team on copying and admin. And our readers today are Catherine. Hello. And Phil. Hello. First of all, I would like to apologise on behalf of all of us here at Worcester Talking Newspapers for the cancellation of last week's recording. We did ask BBC Hereford and Worcester to put an announcement out, but in case you missed it, I'm afraid we were unable to do the recording owing to illness and it was very much last minute and we were just completely stuck. So we do apologise as we know you had a break over Christmas as well and you've probably, well, I'd like to think that you've been missing us. But as from this week, going forward, it should all come to you seamlessly again on a weekly basis. Fingers crossed anyway. So I'd like to extend a warm welcome to any new listeners and we hope you enjoy our recording. As always, we'll include, first of all, a list of useful telephone numbers, then what's on in the local theatres, etc., followed by the headline stories, some general news stories, a little bit of sport, and then finishing up with the thought for the week, sunrise and sunset times and the birthday file. And if we don't have a record of your birthday and you'd like to be included, do please get in touch and we can add you to the file. Obituaries are now recorded after the closing music. We love hearing from you, so if you have any comments or problems, you can leave a message on the answer phone on 01905 767 766 or just put a note in your wallet. Finally, the service is free to users, but if you'd like to make a donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5 1DA. And I'd like to thank Anne Briggs very much for her recent donation. It's hugely appreciated. So let's start this week with exciting stuff, the telephone numbers. Talking newspapers here at Colin Chance House is 01905 767 766. And listeners, as ever, should be aware that it is not manned daily and you may need to be patient if a reply is required. Police non-emergency is 101. I'm sure emergency remains 999 or 112. NHS Direct 111. Crime Stoppers 0800 555 Worcester Hub 01905 765 765. 
Was the County Council here to help is 01905 768053 and then you press option 1 or star. The fire safety prevention team can be found on 0800 032 1155. The domestic abuse helpline 0800 980 Sense Adventures, which is walking for the visually impaired, uh, requires you to get in touch with Dee Jones and her mobile number is 07920 or you can contact her online www.senseadventures.co.uk The Samaritans is 116123 Worcester Live is 01905 611 Morven Theatres is 01684 892277 Worcester Wheels for Transport 01905 450654 and that's between 8.30 in the morning and 4.30 in the afternoon. Link Nurseries at Powick have a session for visually impaired folks on Friday mornings. And the telephone number for more information is 01905 831 Now, the National Grid, which was formerly Western Power, can be contacted on 0800 917 7953 and use this in the event of a power cut. There is a priority service. You can register free on 0800 032 8302, and that will provide you with information, for example, in Braille, large print, or alternative languages. And I've got a number for that, which is 0800 917 7953. Thank you, Phil. And I now have uh, some of the things that are going on locally in the area. I'm going to start with uh, an item which has been specifically requested by Site Concern that we share with you. Uh, the Herefordshire and Worcestershire Wellbeing and Recovery College, in partnership with the University of Worcester and Herefordshire and Worcestershire Chamber of Commerce, they're all hosting a World Cafe event on Thursday, February the 1st, at 10 a.m. The aim is to bring people together from diverse communities by hosting a World Cafe event to highlight pockets of hidden stigma and discrimination and to explore the impact that layers of stigma and discrimination have on people and on their mental health. The cafe will start by creating a safe and supportive space to allow people to talk and then try and uncover and explore what uh, the layers of stigma and discrimination are and what they can do about it. The event is free, but you must book a place in advance to attend. And to do this, you need to access the event either on www.eventbrite.co.uk or contact Site Concern on 01905 723-245 for more details. And whilst on the subject of arts, uh, sorry, site concern, I'm just going to flag up again that every Wednesday between 10.30 and 12.30 at the Bradbury Centre to Sansom Walk, and that's Worcester WR1 1LH, there is an arts and crafts group that you can attend. It's £2 per session. And again, for more details, contact Site Concern 01905 723 245. Spaces are limited, so booking is essential for that. Right, classical music lovers. Beethoven Classics will fill Worcester Cathedral. 
when the Worcester Festival Choral Society performed the composer's Mass in C in March. The region's largest choir, flanked by 140 singers, wow, a 33-piece orchestra and eminent soloists, will showcase the masterpiece on Saturday, March the 16th at 7.30pm. In addition to Beethoven's work, the concert will include Richard Blackford's aesthetically penned 1996 cantata, Mirror of Perfection. Tickets are available from www.wfs. That stands for Worcester Festival Society online. So www.wfs.online and by calling 0333 3366. Over at Malvern Theatre, and I'm giving you a bit more notice about this because I think sometimes you need more time to uh, put these in your diaries. From Tuesday the 13th to Saturday the 17th of February, the Festival Theatre is putting on a performance of The Circle, a Somerset Morn book. The adaptation is by, doesn't actually say, but it does have Jane Asher, Clive Francis and Nicholas Le Provost in it. So a stellar cast there. Prices range from £30 to £41.44, £2 concessions, Wednesdays, Thursdays and Saturdays, matinees 2.30 and all details can be uh, gained from the box office on 01684 892 277. And I think finally... Last but not least, something a bit different. On Saturday the 27th of January, a play entitled Rescuing Chopin is being performed at the Guildhall Theatre, sorry, the Guildhall Worcester. The story goes as follows. A statue of Chopin in London's South Bank disappeared overnight and for the next 37 years. The play reveals how a dedicated sleuth tracked down the statue, got it repaired and reinstalled. And wonderful Chopin nocturnes are played by Janine Parsons accompanying the action. Tickets are available, sorry, tickets are £15 and are available from the Tourist Information Centre at the Guildhall. OK, moving on, we'll do the headline stories now and then, which Catherine will read and then work our way through them. Thanks, Pippa. So, here are the headlines for the week. Last Friday, January the 12th, it was strain on services, fears as GP surgery closes. On Saturday, the headline was motorcyclist fights for life after crash. Monday's headline was shock as skills centre pauses training. On Tuesday, the headline was parents fear deaths on dangerous roads. On Wednesday... Dad Left in Agony by Tight Ankle Tag. And today, Thursday, January the 18th, the headline story is Amputee's Hell as Prisoner in Very Own Home. Right, so I'll, st- I'll start with the headline story for last Friday, January the 12th. Strain on services, fears as GP closes. Patients have spoken of their disappointment at the closure of a surgery in Worcester City Centre and the fear it will cause a strain on services. Farrier House Surgery, based in Farrier Street in Worcester City Centre, has announced it will close in weeks, sending a letter to patients. But NHS bosses have offered reassurances there is a robust plan in place to ensure the best possible care for city patients. 
The surgery said it had taken the difficult decision to close the practice from Friday, March the 1st. Due to challenges with recruitment and rising costs, we are unable to continue to operate, the surgery said. We've worked closely with our NHS partners over many months to find someone to take over the running of this practice, but unfortunately have been unsuccessful. Patients have been offered places at nine practices in Worcester. Patient Molly Clay said, I'm extremely disappointed. It was in a fantastic location and the staff were always helpful and efficient. I think the feeling of disappointment has been made much worse by the fact that part of their reasoning is due to rising costs. It's hard to believe that this can be the cause. I would absolutely love them to reverse the decision. I'm not sure how realistic this would be. I think this pretty much guarantees more pressure on other surgeries in the surrounding areas. Rachel Wilmot said, I'll be sad that this is closing. I've not had any problems there and they're really good if you need something. Chantelle Elizabeth Kane said, they want to build more houses in the surrounding area, more people, but taking away vital service. Caroline Evans added, it's ridiculous. It's hard enough to get an appointment at any surgery without one closing to make it even harder. Tom Collins, Labour's parliamentary candidate for Worcester, said the closure risked patients' safety. Access to a GP is already patchy in Worcester. This is the result of years of mismanagement by the government and a lack of a long-term plan. Once again, people in Worcester have been failed. But Robin Walker, Worcester's Conservative MP, said he had reassurances there is a reasonable number of practices and enough coverage to cope with its closure. This is not a political issue. It is the decision by those running the practice, the MP said. Some senior doctors had moved to Malvern and they had not been able to replace them. Dr Jonathan Clark, Clinical Director at Worcester City Primary Care Network, said... We've been working closely with Ferrier House, Southwest Healthcare and other colleagues across our local NHS to plan for the potential closure of this practice for a period of several months, taking into account capacity and demand across the entire city. We're confident we've got a robust plan in place to ensure we continue to provide the best possible care for our patients and protect NHS services in Worcester. And a weekend edition of the Worcester News led with motorcyclist fights for life after crash. Roads shut for several hours. A motorcyclist has suffered critical injuries after falling from his bike in a crash in a village on the outskirts of Worcester. The man has suffered critical injuries during an incident in Church Road in Crowell, Worcestershire. And this happened at 6.37am on Friday, January the 12th. He was given advanced trauma care by paramedics and taken to Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Birmingham. The road was closed throughout the morning with a West Mercia police cordon at both ends as well as cones blocking the road. Police cars on blue lights maintained the cordon as motorists were asked to avoid the route and follow a diversion. A spokesman for West Mercia police said, We were called to reports of a patient who'd fallen from his motorbike on Church Road. Two ambulances, a paramedic officer, a trauma doctor and the Midlands Air Ambulance Critical Care Car attended the scene. On arrival, we discovered one patient, a man, who was in a critical condition. A spokesman for West Mercia Police said, We were called to assist the West Midlands Ambulance Service with traffic management following this report. 
the man was taken to hospital. Church Road was closed for several hours before reopening to traffic. And the headline for Monday the 15th of January, Shocker Centre pauses training. Volunteers have said they were shocked to be told a community facility was set to shut temporarily, but the trust that runs it has branded this misinformation. People who volunteer at Skill Centre building blocks say they were unexpectedly told that they weren't required, but Worcester Community Trust says it has only temporarily paused some activities after booking out its facilities to a private organisation. The Skills Centre does admit that some activities will now not be available until April, blaming rising costs and declining bookings. The Centre in Shap Drive, Warnden, hosts workshops developing DIY and building skills, including bricklaying, plumbing, plastering, tiling and woodwork, and opened in 2015. Government money was earmarked to enable the idea to expand to set up another centre in Dines Green, to train more local people in trades and life skills. Volunteers at Building Blocks said they were unaware of the decision to pause some activities until the night before they were due to work, and unexpected is an understatement. One volunteer, who requested not to be named, said, Some of us have been there for eight or nine years, and to get a message off another volunteer that it will be shut is unprofessional. That's the general feeling among most of us. However, the charity says that between January and March, some informal activities at the venue are on hold until April, and this is in line with its normal business practice. The charity revealed that since COVID, and particularly over the last year, the building block has seen a sharp decline in paid-for course bookings and increased costs. These bookings play a large part in subsidising the costs of the project, which has meant it's been operating at an unsustainable loss. Worcester Community Trust CEO John Newey said, I'm aware how this misinformation may have caused distress and confusion for the project volunteers. We have no doubt that from March onwards we will be able to deliver a wider programme to more residents whilst being more financially sustainable. But Worcestershire County Councillor and Conservative Parliament candidate Mark Bayliss said he's very concerned about the building block and there's deep worry over its future due to funding. He said as county councillor he was unaware of the changes and he believes his colleagues are also unaware. He added, I am concerned about building blocks because government money has been given for their expansion and they've stopped their own training. The whole purpose is to train local people to get them into local industry. All right. Uh, Tuesday's headline story was parents feel their children could be killed if the council does not deal with a dangerous road outside their school. Stanley Road Primary School and Nursery has seen two crashes involving children in 12 months, leaving many fearing for their children's safety. One of the most recent incidents happened in November, when a six-year-old boy was seriously hurt after being hit by a car. One parent, Lucy Kurilak, has saved her two sons several times from being hit by cars speeding past. It's frustrating. It shouldn't take children being knocked down for the council to do something. And even now, two children later, still nothing has been done about the road, she said. I do not want to be laying flowers on the road after someone has been killed. That is my biggest fear. Does it take that for the council to step up? Another parent and former pupil, Mohammed Mustafa, 
said he is concerned and has seen changes since walking to school as a child. Lorraine Adams, head teacher at Stanley Road Primary School, said her hands are tied because the road is Worcestershire Highway's responsibility. She added, it's very, very difficult for children and parents to cross safely anywhere on Stanley Road because parents park on the zigzag lines, which causes congestion. We also have three schools in the area, so Wilds Lane is highly populated. The school and parents are calling for a zebra crossing to be put in the area and other road safety measures like signs and a possible 20 mile per hour speed limit. Police local safer neighbourhood teams have also been helping to prevent dangerous driving by running regular speed checks and being present on Stanley Road. Ward City Councillor Jabbar Riaz said he remembers when he was hit by a car on his way to school as a child and the situation is a big concern. The County Council has deemed it too dangerous for their school crossing to be deployed here. If it is too dangerous for an adult, it's definitely too dangerous for children. Councillor Mike Rouse, Cabinet Member for Highways and Transport at Worcestershire County Council, said, We don't appear to have had any evidence of an invitation to Worcestershire County Council's Highways Department to attend this meeting, which is unfortunate, as we would have been able to inform concerned parents that we're carrying out a feasibility study for a zebra crossing near the school, and we're consulting on a traffic regulation order on the zigzag lines near the school. Our road safety team have recently carried out speed surveys, which showed a low average speed, and we've considered traffic calming measures. These would significantly reduce the residential parking availability on this street and are very unlikely to significantly reduce speed. And Wednesday. Dad left in agony by tight ankle tag. Cut it off, he says, before I lose my leg. A desperate dad of seven left in agony by a tight electronic ankle tag has thought about cutting his leg off because he fears going back to prison if he takes the device off himself. Carl Lloyd, warned in Green Worcester, went to A&E at Worcestershire Royal Hospital in Worcester on Monday but says the medics refused to cut the tag off and the tagging firm has not been out to see him. The 54-year-old carer says that he's been in excruciating pain for about a month which is now becoming unbearable. He's struggling to walk, blaming a combination of water retention and the tight electronic tag. His leg is red and swollen, while ulcers that had all but gone are beginning to return. And he says he's so desperate that he's contemplated cutting off the tag himself, even though he fears it would put him in jail. However, after a six-hour wait, he said emergency doctors would not remove the tag fitted around six months ago. The dad says he can't sleep and is doing his best to cope with painkillers. The former heroin addict, who maintains he's been clean for 20 years, said the tag was fitted as part of his bail conditions to keep him out of Markley, where his ex-partner lives, though he says he's no intention of going back there. The tag started causing him pain around a month ago, and he says nobody from EMS, now I'm afraid it doesn't tell us who EMS is, but I think we can probably work it out, which installed the device, has been out to adjust it. Uh, despite calling their helpline numerous times. I can't even touch it. If I touch it, it feels like it's burning. My leg feels like it's on fire. The hospital didn't want to know. I don't think they wanted to get in trouble for cutting off the tag, said Mr Lloyd. 
Mr Lloyd is a carer for his 74-year-old bed-bound mum and said he showed doctors the leaflet with the EMS number on it and someone on the phone line told the doctors that it was okay to cut the tag off. He added, This is affecting the care I can now give my mum. I told them at the time, don't put it on too tight because my legs swell up. I then said, that's going to be bad. They've never been out to look at the tag in six months. Everyone says if I cut the tag off myself, I'll go to prison and I could get up to five years, but I'm in agony. All the EMS have done is come out and loosen the tag. All the hospital had to do was to cut off the strap. EMS would have come out and put another strap on, but they didn't want to do it. I felt angry when I came out. I told the doctor what I thought of him. I wasted a whole day up there. Mr Lloyd, who has been to prison before, does not want to go back, but feels increasingly like he has no choice but to act himself. He said, I know what it's like. It ain't a great place to be. You're on your own, and that's that. You're left to your own devices. You go a bit stir-crazy. I hear everybody is on spice. I don't want to be part of that. A call handler for EMS said an electronic tag could be removed for medical reasons, and the advice was for the patient to go to their GP... A&E or a walk-in centre and they are allowed to take the tag off. He also said EMS could talk to the doctor or medical professional while the patient was present if they were reluctant to remove it. He can't though take it off himself, he said. We have approached Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust for a comment. And finally the headline story for Thursday January the 18th amputee's hell as prisoner in own home. An amputee claims he is a prisoner in his own home because platform housing has placed him in an inappropriate property. Gary Sandbrook fears for his safety because he's unable to get out of his bungalow in Rodborough Drive, Warnden, without assistance. The 55-year-old had his leg amputated 14 weeks ago after complications due to diabetes and platform housing found him the bungalow as a more suitable place to live to fit his new set of needs. But after two weeks in the property, he said he may as well be living in a three-storey building because he cannot leave his home, something which is a basic human right. He fears if there is a fire in the property, he will not be able to get out. For the last 18 months, my life has been hell, not just because of the threshold on the door, but I've been in some dark places, he said. My standard of living is nothing as it should be. I thought when I moved from my last place, it would be great being able to go from room to room, but now my day revolves around getting out of bed, having a wash, and sitting in my living room, because I cannot get out of my house. My quality of life has gone down. You might as well put me in a flat three storeys high. That's how I look at it. He added that he was unaware that the threshold on the door was so high, before moving in, and that this would have restricted him from leaving the house. Mr Sandbrook said he has now lost his independence and cannot even head to the shops or pick up his post from his letterbox. He is calling on platform housing to make the changes to the property that are needed, saying negotiations with them are like going around in a hamster wheel. Mr Sandbrook said he is still awaiting a reply from platform despite numerous attempts to get in contact with them. A spokesperson for Platform Housing said they worked with Worcester City Council and Mr Sandbrook to find a suitable alternative and no concerns were raised with the property at the viewing. Platform Housing added it had looked for a place close to Mr Sandbrook's support network and the bungalow was in line with the recommendations made by Mr Sandbrook's occupational therapist. 
We are sorry that Mr Sandbrook is experiencing difficulties in his new home. Platform will work with him to understand what is making his new home unsuitable and what resolutions can be found. <clears throat> this is a story about a new charity shop opening. An environmental charity has opened a shop in a Worcester shopping centre providing a new lease of life to fabrics that would otherwise have ended up dumped in landfill. Worcester Remade is based at the Crowngate Shopping Centre in Friary Walk. Lynn Denham, joint leader of Worcester City Council, has already visited the shop and expressed her support for the initiative. Remade Worcester has taken up the baton from Worcestershire Resource Exchange, which existed for 18 years before it closed in the summer of 2022. Feeling the loss of a scrap store for Worcestershire, a small group of scrap fanatics has worked hard to re-establish a community organisation that can build towards a fully functioning scrap store for the area once again. A community interest company has been set up and it's also a registered charity. Remade volunteer Sue Fry said, Our mission is to make reuse of the... Sorry, I'll, I'll have to start that again. Um... Remade volunteer Sue Fry said, Our mission is to make reuse of the preferred. Oh, sorry, it's just a bad sentence. I'll have to do it again. Okay. Remade volunteer Sue Fry said, Our mission is to make reuse the preferred option instead of new purchases. We want to promote the concept of reuse, repair, and the circular economy. At the moment, we're only open on Thursday and Friday mornings. We're entirely volunteer-run and we all have other responsibilities, so we really need more volunteers to allow us to extend our opening hours. The charity now has a shop in Friary Walk, just up the stairs from the Broad Street entrance to the Crown Great Centre. The shop sells high-quality furnishing fabric, as well as craft materials, which would all have ended up in landfill if it had not been taken by Remade. Ms Fry said, Everything is donated and we hope to expand our stock to include other craft materials, wood, paint, artist materials, interesting bits of plastic, in fact anything that can be reused safely. And we would like to hold workshops to widen the skills needed to reuse reclaimed resources, promote sustainable design and ways of living for environmental and economic benefit. The shop was visited by Cathedral Ward City Councillor and Joint Leader of the Council, Lynn Denham, this week. She said, I'm so pleased that these enthusiastic volunteers have rescued the remnants, literally, of Worcestershire Resource Exchange after its closure by the Duckworth Trust. Thank you to Crowngate for giving them a new home in the city centre. Remade have big ambitions to expand their shop hours and workshops and are looking for more supporters. Anyone interested should pop in and say hello and see what is going on. OK, lots of statistics coming your way now as I read you the story of record numbers visited Cathedral. Worcester Cathedral has announced that it saw a record number of visitors pass through its doors in 2023. The Cathedral confirmed a 20% increase in the overall visitor numbers compared to the previous year, welcoming 180,000 people. That's more than 30,000 more than 2022. 
In the week leading up to Christmas Day, the visitor count reached 14,829, an increase of 13,000 on 2022. And during the week, 44 choral and 67 traditional Christmas carols reverberated around the cathedral. Throughout the last month of the year, 62,373 people congregated at the cathedral to marvel at the Christmas tree festival, which takes place in the medieval cloister. This count is also an increase on 2022's figure, which was 49,268. A total of 135 community entities, including schools, charities, businesses, participated in the festival this year, decorating trees that added glitter to the atmospheric cloister and, for the first time, the chapter house. The event ran from early December until Sunday, January 14th. The cathedral boasted a full programme of services during this period and on Christmas Eve, 3,484 people attended the services. A successful Christmas appeal launched in November garnered support from over 5,500 people and gathered donations totalling £15,716. The cathedral encourages people who haven't yet had the chance to donate by the end of January by reaching out to Cathy, that's C-A-T-H-Y, on 01905 732 emailing Cathy Sloan at WorcesterCathedral.org.uk or through the cathedral's website. More than 500 individuals shared their Christmas blessings on a tag to hang on the community Christmas tree, which St Peter's Garden Centre donates every year. Interim Dean of Worcester, Canon Stephen Edwards, said, We were absolutely delighted to welcome so many visitors to the cathedral throughout Advent and the Christmas period. It was an absolutely joyous year, with more visitors, trees, carols and services than ever. Thank you to the whole community who came here to celebrate Christmas in this historic and sacred space. He added, We can't thank our supporters enough for donating to the Christmas Appeal. We've raised a fantastic amount and really do appreciate every single donation. We really couldn't do it without you. Staff at a new city centre bookshop are mind-blown after being named one of the best in the UK. Script Haven on Worcester's High Street has been named the third best bookshop in the UK by The Times and they've only been open five months. The bookshop, which also has a cafe, offers a platform for authors and artists, unique gifts, a second-hand book exchange and a community hub for various Worcestershire organisations. Lena Batchelor, owner and former Worcestershire Poet Laureate, said she's still trying to process the news and said the coveted title is thanks to all her committed customers. I was delighted even to get recognised out of hundreds of bookshops, so just to be known is phenomenal. And then to be number three on the list is mind-blowing. All sorts of things were going through my mind, like, is this real? Our customers voted for us, and it is a testament to how valuable and important the space is. It is an absolute privilege to provide this. Since opening, Miss Batchelor said the business had been incredibly busy and now supports 150 authors and artists. I'd hoped we'd have reached maybe 100 in 12 months, she added. We'd aimed to be at this point in 8 to 12 months and are here now in terms of popularity. It's a lovely surprise and it's great we're here. The immense popularity of the store has led the team to launch a crowdfunding appeal as major changes are needed to the venue to fit the growing demand. 
The shop will need to install permanent bookcases and relocate the coffee counter to provide space for customers. Flooring in the store also needs to be redone as the current laminate flooring isn't fit for purpose. I would like to say thank you to all my customers who've been wonderful and we hope to be here for a very long time, Lena said. Many organisations are using the space, like those teaching sign language and mental health groups. We want to bring the magic of creativity into people's lives and to be able to do that is wonderful. If we can improve the space, then we can improve local community and therefore Worcester. All right. Doris's secret to long life as she turns 105. A truly remarkable woman says healthy eating and being happy are the secrets to a long life as she celebrates turning 105. Doris Raystrick, a resident at Latimer Court, was joined by staff, family and friends as she received a card from King Charles III and Queen Camilla for her landmark birthday. To mark the occasion, a champagne reception was held at the home, including a special birthday cake made by the home's chef for Mrs. Raystrick, residents and guests. She spent her younger years living through the war before meeting Roy, her husband-to-be. Mrs. Raystrick managed a grocery store and her husband managed a cinema before they decided to settle down and start their family, at which point she left work to be a housewife. The couple went on to enjoy 56 years of marriage. Mrs. Raystrick, who is described as a friendly, happy and sociable lady, moved into sheltered accommodation and subsequently to Latimer Court in 2020. The care home is part of Barchester Healthcare, one of the UK's largest care providers, and provides residential care, nursing, nursing care and dementia care for 80 residents, offering everything from respite care to long-term stays. Speaking on her birthday, Mrs. Raystrick said, I'm so happy and excited to turn 105, I can't quite believe it, and the things I've lived to see. My secret to a long life is to always be happy and eat healthy. The celebrations were attended by her daughter, Wendy, granddaughters, Samantha and Amanda, and great-granddaughter, Sarah, who hosted for the afternoon for lots of guests. Wendy said... Doris is and has been a fantastic mother and friend to so many over the past 105 years and it's wonderful to be with her on this very special day to say just how proud she makes us feel. Donna Tustin, General Manager at Latimer Court, said we're delighted to be celebrating a truly remarkable woman as she reaches this amazing milestone. Doris is such a popular resident who always has an interesting tale to tell and we look forward to hearing many more as she enjoys her next century. Wow. And now um, a short update on the proposed arts venue plans. The headed arts venue plans go in. The development of the -the state-of-the-art new arts venue in Worcester has taken its next step after a planning application was submitted by the council. The council presented a revised scheme for a new performance and creativity hub in the city with hopes of breathing new life into the historic Scala and Corn Exchange buildings in Angel Street. This follows extensive discussions with key stakeholders in the city's arts and creative circles. The project is set to be funded by a portion of the city's £17.9 million share from the government's future High Streets Fund. The planning application is available for public view and comment and can be found online. The council's joint leader, Councillor Lynn Denham, said... 
These plans set out a vision to refurbish these lovely old buildings into a multi-use arts and performance venue in the northern quarter of our city centre. We've worked with local arts organisations to create a new hub for film screenings, live performance, dance, rehearsals and much more. Fellow joint leader, Councillor Marjorie Bissett, said, These new plans for the Scala and Corn Exchange buildings have come directly out of our recent independently-led stakeholder consultation, which helped to identify opportunities to improve Worcester's current facilities. I'm delighted to say that we're now in a position to make use of those insights, creating a venue that will attract new audiences and allow arts and entertainment to thrive in our city. Architects Borrell Foley Fisher drafted the plans for the two buildings and they include a live performance area with seating, a screening studio, a flexible space for rehearsals and dance shows. The council has joined forces with seven arts groups from the area to formulate the plans which will contribute towards finalising management, operational arrangements for the new venue. Worcester residents are invited to share their comments on the application now at www.worcester.gov.uk forward slash planning. And a lovely article here about the um, Worcester Repair Cafe, which uh, some of you may or may not be familiar with. To some, a wobbly old globe, a ragged teddy bear, and an ancient typewriter would be ordinary junk to be thrown away. But on the second Saturday of each month in Unity House on Hill Street in Worcester, these items may get to see another day or even decade. Worcester Repair Cafe has been mending the city's items since it opened in 2016. So we decided to visit them to see how they're helping people's prized possessions live on. If you've ever been to the city's repair cafe, you may have heard the saying, if you can fix it, sorry, if you can fit it through the door, then we can try and fix it. And as mottos go, it really does echo the ethos of the room. Hoovers, toy cars, gardening tools and record players. If you can name it, it's probably sitting in the hall of the, of the hall waiting to be fixed. One of the items, brought in by five-year-old Daphne Acog, is a well-loved teddy, better known as Panda Boy. The teddy is decades old and was her mother's favourite childhood toy before it was passed down to Daphne. They've become inseparable ever since. She's never slept a night without him. She never had a dummy and he became her comforter, said Elsa Acog, Daphne's mum. As time went on, Panda Boy started to become tired looking and the fur around his head was becoming thin. I feared it would fall off. So we came to the repair cafe and have been back most months since. Panda Boy had his arm, chest, neck, nose and leg mended over the years and even had part of him restuffed. And I'll just say that there is a photograph, uh, quite a few of them actually, alongside the article uh, with a wonderful picture of Panda Boy getting his nose fixed and you can actually see someone sewing the nose back on. One of the people sewing said she feels responsible for being able to prolong his life and is proud to be entrusted with an item with so much sentimental value. Within the first 45 minutes of being open, the cafe had 46 people through its doors hoping to get an item fixed. On average, it can fix around 90 to 100 in that day between the electrical repairers, the glue crew, engineers and sewing teams. Rob Howell, chair of Worcester Repair Cafe, said, It has gone up and up. There's a real buzz here. We set this up to stop stuff going into landfill sites and it has become much more than that. People are feeling the squeeze and people want to save money, not just throw things away. 
and others have items with sentimental value. There's a real community spirit here. And I can vouch for that because I've been there and used it and it's wonderful. Good. Right. A footpath closed for nearly two years may not have collapsed due to natural erosion, a councillor has argued as she calls for answers. The Liberal Democrats raised concerns over the closure of the Northwick Slip footpath at a meeting at County Hall. Councillor Jessie Jagger posed questions regarding the closure of the footpath, which has been inaccessible since March 2022. Natural erosion made the path unsafe for walkers. Council bosses revealed it would cost between £500,000 and a million pounds to reopen the path. A spokesperson for Worcestershire County Council said in November, we can confirm the closure has been extended and there are no current plans to repair the path. Representing concerned residents in Clanes, Councillor Jagger acknowledged the ongoing efforts of County Councillor Mel Alcott in seeking a resolution. Councillor Jagger said, Residents in Clanes, while not having evidence of wrongdoing or negligence by developers, remain sceptical about the collapse being solely attributed to natural causes. Concerns have been raised regarding the potential benefits to developers from a permanent closure, offering unspoiled views for newly built bungalows. In an effort to address these concerns and promote transparency, Councillor Jagger submitted two questions during the County Hall meeting. She asked for clarification on the cause of the landslip. In July 2021, the Worcester News reported that a specialist engineer attributed the landslip to natural erosion. Councillor Jagger sought clarity on the methodology and data used to reach this conclusion. Additionally, she wished to ascertain whether the engineer can categorically rule out non-natural causes for the footpath collapse. She also called for an investigation into the removal of steps leading to the footpath. Councillor Jagger emphasised the importance of addressing these questions openly to dispel any lingering doubts among residents. Councillor Jagger asked the chair of the relevant committee and the relevant officer to address these questions in writing, fostering transparency and ensuring that the community remains informed. Kyle Daisley, chairman for Worcestershire County Council, said in response to the meeting, thank you very much indeed. I listened very carefully to what you had to say. I don't think this falls under the remit of the County Council. However, I will ensure that you receive a written response from the relevant cabinet member in due course. And Friday last newspaper is uh, article is headed Defences are not the long-term answer to floods. A flood expert said Worcestershire flood defences have done the job to stop homes and businesses flooding, but warns that they are not the answer to the longer-term problems. Dave Throop retired in 2021 after spending more than 20 years in the role of environmental agency manager. Worcester and the county were hit with major flooding last week, causing massive disruption to roads and affecting 180 properties after heavy rain following Storm Gerrit and Storm Henk. People living in Diglis have called for flood barriers similar to those at Upton and Bewdley. Mr Throop said many communities along the Severn and Wye now have operational flood defences and they work. Thousands of homes and businesses are dry today because they're there. Take Upton, for example, dubbed the most flooded town in the UK. Defences built in 2011 after the catastrophic floods of 27 
at a cost of £4.5 million, have now protected the town over 50 times. Last week, flood water would have been chest high in the waterside buildings. It's undoubtedly a success story, but floods are getting bigger due to a rapidly changing climate. During the floods of 2020, he went on, every flood defence on the 7 and Y was in within half to a metre of overtopping. It would have been a similar story last week. Parrick flood defences were overtopped in 2020. This doesn't mean the flood defences have failed. They've done what they were designed to do, protect to a certain size of flood. But when you get a bigger one, it goes over the top or round the edge. A big flood on the 7, like the one we've just seen, or 2020 or 21, is getting quite close to the capability of flood defences. And we expect significant increase in flood peaks due to climate change in the very near future. What to do, he said. We can't engineer our way out. Raising existing uh, defences won't be technically or financially or environmentally possible. Designing flood defences to a much higher standard of protection would make them many times more expensive and physically huge. Catchment scale attenuation provides some hope for the future. If you know what it means, I suppose. It's complex, though, requiring join-up policy and funding, reducing flood peaks by slowing runoff with multiple interventions. Wide-scale dredging would make things much worse. That's interesting to me, dear reader, because at my bus stop the other morning, they were all totally convinced that dredging was the answer to flooding on the 7. But Dave says no. If you live behind a flood defence, don't be complacent, he goes on. They will protect you from most floods, but not all. You should expect to be flooded in future. Have a plan for when it happens. Right, I've got a very good news story here and very appropriate. A sight loss charity in Evesham has announced the arrival of its first adorable litter of puppies. Guide dogs delivered the news of its inaugural brood of the new year. The guide dog mum, Haley, a black Labrador, welcomed seven thriving pups on Tuesday, January the 2nd sealing their status as the first guide dog puppies of 2024. The charity's breeding dog volunteer, Anthea Smith, who resides with Haley, said, It's all going really well. This is Haley's second litter and she was a good mum last time, but is even better this time. She's just been fabulous. She's very attentive to the puppies. The first litter was a litter of seven and we have a litter of seven healthy pups this time too. Six of them are black and one yellow. The charity's breeding dog volunteers tend to a guide dog mum-to-be full-time with all expenses covered by the charity. The volunteers care for the mums, assist them during birth and help nurture a litter of prospective guide dogs for roughly eight weeks before the puppies venture out to commence their training. The male parent of the litter is guide dog father Euron, a yellow Labrador who also resides with a breeding dog volunteer. Kelly Newton, operations manager at Guide Dogs, said, It's fantastic to be able to announce the birth of our first litter of guide dog puppies in 2024. This year we're looking for new volunteers who could give a permanent home to one of our guide dog mums and help to support them when they have their litters of future guide dogs. To do the role, you need to be 18 or over and live within an hour's drive of our national centre just outside Leamington Spa. To find out more, please do get in touch. Volunteers care for guide dog mums until they retire around the age of six and are then given the option to continue caring for the mother as a pet. 
If you're interested in becoming a breeding dog volunteer and offering a nurturing home to a guide dog mum in 2024, contact volunteering coordinator Veri- Verity O'Donnell uh, on 0800 781 1444. Over to you. And here's a bit of what's on news to add to what Pippa's already said at the beginning. Um, people can enjoy a fish and chip supper and hear about important work in Sierra Leone. Worcester's Christian Aid Group is inviting people to the supper in the Maudlin Room at St George's C of E Church, St George's Square, Worcester. There will be illustrated work by Christian Aid about its work in Sierra Leone and the stories behind Christian Aid Week 2024. It takes place on Saturday, February the 3rd, from 5.45pm. Tickets cost £8, including the food, and should be bought in advance. Visit St George's Worcester, or one word, .org.uk for more information. An 85-year-old campaigner concerned about a dangerous city roundabout carried out his own traffic survey as he renewed urgent calls for a crash barrier to protect vulnerable pedestrians. Alex Mackey raised the issue of the safety of the Ketch roundabout at a meeting of St Peter's Parish Council. I know of a couple who are scared to drive on the Ketch roundabout, he said. They don't dare. Mr Mackey previously expressed concerns about the safety of pedestrians and the footpath. He said a pylon protected by a metal barrier and a brick wall lined with concrete is afforded better protection than walkers. He said he and others feel defenceless at a spot where HGVs hurtle past and several cars have left the road as calls are made for barriers to be installed. He said, I did make a forceful address to the members of the parish council in respect of security and safety concerns which I share with my neighbours about the current situation at the roundabout. He said the parish council agreed to take up the matter. He also believes that the safety of drivers is at stake particularly those turning left onto the A38 from the Carrington Bridge. Mr Mackey maintains the speed of advancing traffic from the Kemsey direction remains a safety issue to traffic turning left or going straight on at the roundabout. He did his off-peak 15-minute traffic survey, counting 227 vehicles in that time, including cars, motorbikes, vans, heavy goods vehicles, on Thursday between 2 o'clock and 2.25. Mr Mackey has also been in touch with Mercia's Police and Crime Commissioner to explore the possibility of funding to support extra safety measures. A spokesman for the County Council said it offered to investigate an alternative route for the cycleway. Any such change would be subject to a suitable alternative route being identified and there being no significant objections from cyclists. Some minor changes to road markings were made at the roundabout following recent improvement works, which the council was also made aware of. The design of the roundabout has been subject to a rigorous road safety audit process. A spokesman for the West Mercia Police and Crime Commissioner said it passed information on to West Mercia's police road safety team, who said it's an issue for the council to review. The PCC's road safety fund is open, totalling £250,000. £100,000 of that pot is allocated for road safety signs, speed indicator devices, vehicle activated signs and street furniture. These must be supplemented with evidence of authorisation from the local authority. The remaining £150,000 is available for initiatives that benefit as much of West Mercia as possible. They recommended Mr Mackey contact the County Council to see if they would support his request.
It was love on the factory floors of a well-known city company for a couple celebrating 60 years of marriage. Muriel, 83, and Stuart Harding, 81, of Christchurch Road, met at Providence Works, a factory owned by the Metal Box, while Stuart was working as an apprentice and Muriel was working on the canning line packing boxes. The couple received a congratulatory message from King Charles III and Camilla after celebrating their diamond wedding anniversary on January the 11th. The Hardings have lived on the same street in Worcester for the duration of their marriage, living in three different properties over that period. Mr Harding worked at Providence and then at Metalbox for most of his working life, before ending up at Russell and Dorrell's in a driving job. Mrs Harding only worked briefly at Metalbox and occasionally helped her parents with their well-known local ice cream business, Lanny's Ice Creams, until she moved on to work for Lee and Perrins. They welcomed two children, Paul and Lisa, during their marriage and have three grandchildren, Chris, Josh and Lucia, as well as three great-grandchildren. Mr and Mrs Harding described their wedding in 1964 as nothing too fancy and they tied the knot at Worcester Registry Office with some close family in attendance. Mr Harding joked that his good looks were what Mrs Harding liked most about him, with both saying they've always enjoyed spending their time together. The couple had a gathering with family and friends at the Gun Tavern pub in Worcester, which holds a special place in their hearts, with Mr Harding a regular visitor since he was around three years of age. So warmest congratulations to you both. An enhanced mainstream autism base has opened at a city school to provide students with vital support. The Beacon at Christopher Whitehead Language College in Sixth Form opened on Monday, January the 15th. Di Howland, funding and events manager, said, We were delighted to welcome the Mayor of Worcester, Councillor Louis Stephen, to officially open the Beacon. Invited guests included members of the Worcestershire Children's First team, local councillors, governors and staff from Christopher Whitehead Language College and Sixth Form. The Beacon is a bespoke provision which seeks to provide students with the vital support they need to access learning, social and emotional skills, as well as preparing them for adulthood. The building of the Beacon was completed in June 2023 with autistic learners in mind. Its design has paid particular attention to the sensory needs of students, for example the choices of calming colours within the classrooms. This was made possible due to a grant from Worcestershire Children's First. The Beacon opened for students in September 2023 as an enhanced mainstream autism base, EMAB the first of its kind within Worcester City. It is crucial that every young student with autism has the same opportunities as their peers so they can become active members of their communities. The Beacon seeks to be a part of this drive in Worcestershire. Places at the Beacon will be offered following consultation with the local authority where the school will decide whether a child's needs can be met at the Beacon based on the provision detailed in the child's EHCP. The school is not able to offer places directly. OK, bit of politics for you now. Labour to win city at next general election, the heading boldly states. A new poll suggests Worcester is set to switch to Labour at the next general election. The country is due for a general election before January 2025, potentially being held this May or in the autumn. 
According to a poll commissioned by Conservative donors carried out by YouGov, which is a polling company, and the Daily Telegraph, the Tories are on course for a major election loss nationally, similar to the 1997 result. YouGov's polls surveyed 14,000 voters and issued predictions for each of the country's 650 constituencies. Among the major seats forecast to change is Worcester, a Labour gain with a predicted 43% share of the vote. The poll says the Conservatives would be at 31%, Greens at 9%, Liberal Democrats and Reform at 8 and the Field at 1%. If this translates to a general election result, it would mean Worcester would be held by Labour for the first time since 2010, when Labour MP Mike Foster lost to Conservative Robin Walker, who's stepping down this time round. Tom Collins is Labour's parliamentary candidate. Mark Bailey is standing for the Conservatives in Worcester. It will be the first time an election is fought under an electoral boundary shake-up previously agreed, although the constituency's uh, boundary for Worcester hasn't changed since 1992 and would remain the same. Writing in the Daily Telegraph, Lord David Frost, a Conservative peer, said the poll's findings were, quote, stunningly awful and that the party was facing a 1997-style wipeout if the Conservatives are lucky. 1997 saw Tony Blair's Labour Party win a landslide majority, decimating Sir John Major's Conservatives. Interesting use of the word decimating, which means reducing by 10%, and of course it was a lot more than that. Responding to the poll, Prime Minister Rishi Sunak said, the only poll that matters is the one that comes when the general election happens. A care home recently donated 150 shoeboxes to a day centre that looks after the homeless. The staff members at Latimer Court in Worcester collected items such as food, toys, toiletries and clothing to donate to Mag's Day Centre. The venture was organised by care assistant Lucy Haynes, who surpassed her initial goal of gathering 10 shoeboxes, rounding up enough contributions to put together over 150 boxes. Miss Haynes said, I wanted to raise donations for the homeless this year as I went through a personal experience of being at risk of homelessness myself. I'm truly grateful for every donation I've received, so thank you. Melissa Blewett, Marketing and Relations Officer at the Day Centre, said, The team at MAGS are amazed by Lucy's hard work on securing donations for us and her fantastic work will mean that our services will be stocked for our service users to benefit from for a long period. Thank you, Lucy, for thinking of Mags and helping us bring cheer to the homeless this Christmas. Donna Tustin, General Manager at Latimer Court, said, We're always keen to show as much support as we can to local charities. We dedicated an area in our reception where staff members, residents and their loved ones could generously donate. We had a tremendous response from local organisations who also donated so freely, which is very kind and thoughtful. I've been simply blown away by everyone's generosity and the amount we had donated, even in these very difficult times. Right. Uh, Worcester Cathedral's bells will sound out for four hours for a very special reason this weekend. The cathedral's bell ringers will attempt a full peal, which, if successful, will last about four hours on Saturday, January the 20th. That's the day after tomorrow, in fact. The largest bell weighs a massive two and a half tonnes and will be rung by just one person for the duration, Chris Phillips. Mr Phillips, who's aged 51 and comes from Lysinton, was diagnosed with Parkinson's and will be raising money for Parkinson's UK by taking on the challenge.
Already he's managed to raise over £2,000 for the charity. David Bagley, a fellow bell ringer who's known Mr Phillips for over 35 years, said this is a massive physical challenge for any experienced bell ringer to undertake. But what makes this Saturday's performance extraordinary is that it will be rung by Chris Phillips. Just three years ago, Chris was diagnosed with Parkinson's. This is a progressive neurological condition causing problems in the brain which get worse over time. There is no cure. Instead of resigning himself to the fact that he's got Parkinson's, Chris is more of the opinion that Parkinson's hasn't got him and he has been doing his very best to get on with life alongside Tracy and their eight-year-old daughter, Amelia. For several months now, Chris has been concentrating on his fitness and stamina. This, this will improve his chances of ringing a heavy bell for four hours as well as his ability to cope with his condition. Good luck, Chris. The challenge begins at 10 a.m. Parkinson's disease is a condition in which parts of the brain become progressively damaged over many years, according to the NHS. The main symptoms of Parkinson's disease include involuntary shaking of particular parts of the body, slow movement, as well as stiff and inflexible muscles. Parkinson's UK funds research into the disease as well as provides information and support to people living with Parkinson's and their families. To donate, visit rwrld.uk forward slash mugn or donations can be made in person at Worcester Cathedral where people will be able to listen to the bells being rung. Thanks, Catherine. What a wonderful story. Best of luck, Mr Phillips, we say. Here's another one, really. Another great story. A college student has been honoured with a prestigious Scout Award for his bravery in battling a brain tumour alongside a series of other health issues. Matthew Cook enrolled at Heart of Worcestershire College on the Level 2 Digital and Creative Media course and was the recipient of the coveted Cornwall Scout badge. This accolade is given for devotion to duty, courage and endurance, which Mr Cook has demonstrated through his relentless commitment to scouting, which he began as a six-year-old, despite his health issues. He was diagnosed with neurofibromatosis when he was eight and soon faced numerous brain tumours, with one requiring removal via surgery. As a result, aged 17, he received chemotherapy and regular tumour inspections and has faced new challenges such as fatigue, physical limitations and potential hearing loss. Yet all that was not enough to quell Mr Cook's scouting spirit, earning the Chief Scout Bronze Award amongst other recognitions. He also undertook the District Dove Trek Challenge, a gruelling 12-mile hike before the lockdown, and participated in Zoom meetings during the pandemic before transitioning into Explorer Scouts. Mr Cook said, Scouting allows me to be me. I can, do much as, I can do as much as I can with the support of my friends despite my limitations. Scouting gives me a freedom from hospitals and lets me have a normal life. Dove Trek was so hard and pushed me to my limit. I also got Scout of the Year in my last year of Scouts. More challenges lie ahead for this young man with further surgery for his ankle coming up as well as dealing with the day-to-day -day challenge of his health conditions. But Mr Cook stands resolute, committed to continue scouting for as long as he is physically able. So some interesting news about the um, old Debenhams uh, department store. Enforcement notices have appeared on the windows of a former department store which was set to become an artisan food hall warning that the contents of the building will be sold. 
The notices have been put up on 67 to 71 High Street in Worcester at what was to become Artisan Food Hall and was set to open in spring 2022. Work has seemingly ground to halt at what was once the city's Debenhams, the department store chain. One notice to Block 71 Limited, the tenant, from County Enforcement Limited reads, Pursuant to Clause 32 of your lease, dated February 23, 2021, we as authorised agents of the landlord have this day re-entered the premises, demised by the said lease, and the said lease is thereby determined absolutely. Proceedings civil and or criminal will be taken against any party who has entered or attempts to enter the premises without our prior consent, consent in writing. The papers contacted county enforcement, but they couldn't add anything at this stage. There appears to be no phone or email listing for Block 71 Limited. Doesn't look like it's going anywhere anytime soon, does it? Plans for the food hall were first confirmed back in April 2021 and was originally tipped to be a nine-month transformation project. The first floor was earmarked for Canteen Society, with plans to open between Friday and Sunday, and for pop-up chefs and creators to fill the space. The second floor was going to feature a city garden, once completed, and a space that could be hired for events, weddings, parties and gigs every weekend. Well, watch this space, I think, is all we can say. But it doesn't look good news, does it? Okay, news from the University of Worcester. The University of Worcester has once again been named one of the most sustainable in the country. The university has been awarded first-class honours for environmental sustainability for the 14th consecutive year in the recently published People and Planet National Rankings. The league ranks 151 UK institutions, with Worcester being placed ninth in the 2023-24 table. The Vice-Chancellor and Chief Executive of the University, Professor David Green, said... The university is committed to taking every practical measure to promote environmental sustainability. We promote biodiversity, use science and modern technology to harness the sun's energy to generate electricity and warm water, contribute to flood management and alleviation and much besides. We're very grateful to our students, staff and partners who are outstanding in combining commitment with scientific understanding and technical expertise. People and Planet ranks universities based on various parameters, including environmental policy, carbon management, how sustainable food is produced, waste and recycling, energy sources, reduction of carbon and water use, and how the institution instills an understanding of sustainability within its students. Alongside the accolade, the university also bagged the Silver Award in the Green Apple Environment Awards, marking its seventh victory. Judged on their efforts to enhance biodiversity on campus, Worcester's many initiatives are noted for fostering wildlife through st- strategic planting of wildflowers and plants. The university is also noted for its redevelopment of the former print factory and Worcester News building into a highly sustainable modern health and medicine building and the nearby University of Worcester Arena with 100 operational electric vehicle charging points. The array of charging points is one of the largest outside the Western Europe motorway network. Okay. 
Magnificent Rescue Heroes are recognised and this sits underneath a photograph of a car that's quite clearly gone into some very deep water and only the very rear of the thing is showing above water so it does look pretty serious. Courageous police officers who formed a human chain to save the life of a woman in a submerged car have been recognised for their bravery. Six Worcester police officers formed a human chain to save a woman from her nearly submerged car after it stalled and was washed away as she was crossing Pinvin Ford at Bowbrook near Worcester. They have been awarded national life-saving honours for their courage in the line of duty. We reported at the time how officers had formed a chain to pull the woman from her white mini. Thanks to the officers' actions, the woman was successfully rescued and escaped without serious injury. Video footage shows officers linking arms before one smashes the window and pulls the driver to safety. The woman phoned police to say she was locked in her hybrid electric vehicle, which was filling with water. She was already up to her neck in water and was unable to lower the windows to get out because they had stopped working. By the time police reached the scene on the morning of April 25th last year, all that could be seen of the car was the rear quarterlight window and the car was several metres out in the main flow of the river. The police formed a human chain, as I said, out into the river to serve as an anchor for Police Sergeant Lee Baker, who was at the front of the chain and in serious danger from the fast-flowing water. When he reached the car, Sergeant Baker saw the woman with her face close to the car roof, managing to breathe the last of the air in the vehicle. He initially tried to break the car window with a hammer, but failed. Then he used his baton and with the last of the air in the car ebbing away, he managed to smash the window and then pulled the woman through it. She was pulled to safety by the rest of the members of the chain. While this was happening, PC Shannon Murphy, immediately behind Sergeant Baker in the chain, was providing tactical communications and keeping PS Baker in touch with the other members of the chain. Now he is to receive a Royal Humane Society testimonial on vellum. Police Constable Murphy is to receive a testimonial on parchment and the other members of the chain, Police Constables Matthew Anstis, Erin Fairless, Sam Quayle and Thomas Simmons are to receive certificates of commendation. Andrew Chapman, Secretary of the Society, said this was a horrifying scenario and if the police had not reached the scene when they did and then put themselves at risk to rescue the woman, she almost certainly would have drowned. They did a magnificent job in very difficult circumstances. Well, the cold, dark days of winter might be depressing, but did you know they can seriously affect your heart health too? You're twice as likely to have a heart attack or stroke during a cold spell. Research by scientists at the University of Bristol and the University College London found the number of heart attacks and strokes in people aged over 60 doubled during periods of at least four days which were particularly cold compared to the rest of the month. The British Heart Foundation, which funded the study, says each year in the UK there are thousands of additional deaths from heart and circulatory disease in the winter months. The cold weather makes your heart work harder to keep your body warm, explains Chloe MacArthur, a senior BHF cardiac nurse. This can present specific risks for people with heart conditions as it can exacerbate symptoms. Dr Gosiah Wamil, a cardiologist at Mayo Clinic Healthcare in London, says a combination of factors, including extra stress on the body caused by the cold, plus inflammation from winter respiratory infections, and even vitamin D deficiency because of the lack of sunlight, can all lead to the increased number of heart attacks in winter. However, despite the risk of heart attacks being higher when it's cold, it doesn't mean you can't do anything to minimise the risk. 
the British Heart Foundation is encouraging people with heart conditions to take precautions, such as wrapping up warm, staying active, maintaining a healthy diet and getting the flu jab to minimise potential health risks during cold snaps. OK, donations have come in for a fundraiser set up in memory of a popular city landlord with thousands of pounds raised in 24 hours. Alex Pope, the landlord of the Paul Pry, died at the age of 39, the pub announced, on Sunday, January the 14th. Now, family, friends and customers have been donating to a GoFundMe page, which has raised £9,000 so far. Plans for the donations include helping to pay for Mr Pope's funeral and the send-off he deserves. A statement from the team at the Paul Pry said they're beyond devastated and broken, but comforted knowing how loved he is and how much support we have around us. The fundraiser was launched on Monday night, January the 15th, and by Tuesday lunchtime it had already raised £9,000. Family friend Felicity Regent said everybody was blown away by the support and the generosity of people in wanting to give something showed how popular he was. He was a massive part of the community in Worcester, Mrs Regent said. We set the fundraiser up to help with funeral costs and also with the ongoing costs of Alex's legacy, the Paul Pry. The pub remains closed at the moment. There are bills to be paid, staff to be paid. The money will help give them space to make decisions. It's a family-run pub. Alex was behind the bar and cooking the Sunday roasts. There's a lot of uncertainty with the pub. Uh, the GoFundMe page reads, Many of you have sent wonderful kind words of love and such fond memories and stories which have been so kindly received by family and friends. Right, we're back to the floods. Careless driver fined. A bus driver has been fined for careless driving after he drove into flood water and seven of the passengers had to be rescued by the fire service. The bus got stuck in a flood in water near Shrawley, near Worcester, at around 12.30pm last Friday, which meant seven passengers had to be rescued by the fire service. We can now reveal that the bus driver has been issued with a fixed penalty notice for careless driving as a result of the incident. Nobody was hurt in the incident, though, which was attended by both the Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service and West Mercia Police. A spokesman for the police said, We were called to the support of the fire service after a report that a bus was stuck in flood water. Passengers who were on the bus were rescued and no one suffered any injuries. The driver was issued with this fixed penalty notice for careless driving. At the time, flood warnings were in place along the River Severn following two successive storms over Christmas and New Year brought heavy rainfall. That storm Gerrit on the 27th of December and storm Henk on the 2nd of January. A spokesperson for the Fire and Rescue Service said crews rescued seven passengers from a bus using a water rescue vehicle and the incident was left with police who were also in attendance. The incident was marked as closed at 1.28pm. Great. Well, that concludes the general news stories and we will run through a bit of sport. Uh, Seems to be very little this week, so we've got a couple of um, rugby stories and a a very good news football story. And I will begin with rugby. So Steve Borthwick has named his England squad for the start of the Guinness Six Nations next month. Borthwick has included seven new faces in his squad for the tournament that begins with a trip to Rome to face Italy on February the 2nd. One of those is the former Worcester Warriors Academy product, Finn Smith, who's been in fine form for his current club, Northampton Saints. 
Smith, 21, has been one of the key men in a Saints side that have excelled on all fronts in the 2023-24 campaign so far. They sit top of the Gallagher Premiership and are already into the knockout stages of the European Champions Cup, with a game to spare after winning all three of their pool games. Smith, who first played rugby with amateur side Shipston on Stour, burst onto the scene with Worcester as just the second 18-year-old to ever play for the club in a top-flight game, going from strength to strength before the unfortunate collapse of Warriors back in 2022. He joined Saints shortly after and has continued to shine at Franklin's Gardens, which has now been rewarded by Borthwick in his England squad. The other uncapped players in the squad include wings Emmanuel Feywabuso, hope I've said his name right, Oscar Beard and Tom Roebuck, back rows Chandler Cunningham South and Ethan Roots, as well as centre Fraser Dingwall. The squad will be captained by Jamie George, who takes over from Owen Farrell. And that's my story. And here's another story with reference to the Worcester Warriors. Former Worcester Warriors players and non-playing staff have been rewarded with protective award compensation following employment tribunal proceedings. The proceedings, which were led by the Rugby Players Association on behalf of 167 players and non-playing staff from Worcester, Wasps and London Irish, who were all made redundant without notice when their clubs demised in the 2022-23 season. Warriors were expelled from the Premiership in October 2022 after going into administration as a result of a tax dispute with HM Revenue and Customs. Despite new owners, Atlas Group, led by former Worcester Chief Executive Jim O'Toole, completing the purchase of the club in May 2023, the club's playing future has remained uncertain. The RPA lent assistance most notably by supporting players in their most vulnerable circumstances and leading the proceedings by pursuing protective award compensation in relation to the players' redundancies over the past four months. The judgments were issued in favour of the players who received the highest possible protective award due to the club's failure to give their employees notice prior to making the redundancies. RPA's Player Welfare Director, Rich Bryan, said the RPA team has left no stone unturned in providing its support to its members. We've provided legal advice at every turn, mental health support, one-to-one player development manager support and career transition support. Pursuing the protective award claims on behalf of our members was just another example of the RPA demonstrating how essential our service is. Former Worcester second row Graham Kitchener said, following sudden redundancy at Worcester Warriors, the RPA took action, tirelessly fighting for our best interests as players. The outcome of these protective award claims will serve as a crucial financial safety net, providing stability for players and their families. Former Worcester prop Murray McCallum echoed the sentiment, saying, I can't appreciate the efforts from the RPA enough for continuously fighting for the players long after sudden redundancy at Worcester Warriors. Rich Bryan and the team securing the protective award claims for us players is greatly appreciated by everyone and provides a crucial financial safety net as well as some stability. Right, some football now. City another step closer to Wembley. Late goals in thrilling Vars tie. 
The Wembley dream is very much alive and well for Worcester City after a thrilling FA Vars tie against Lichfield City on Saturday afternoon. Just like they did in the third round, Dylan Hart and Kyle Belmonte provided late goals to book City's place in the last 16 of the Vars and move them a step closer to a trip to Wembley Way. This competition may not have been the priority at the start of the 23-24 campaign for boss Chris Corns, but the scenes when Hart headed the hosts ahead with 10 minutes remaining suggested the fans, players and coaches are daring to dream. It does feel like today was a bit of a moment, said Corns at full time. When that first goal went in, the whole place erupted and it felt as if there were 10,000 people in the ground. It was amazing. You could see the players celebrating with the fans and you can also see how much it means to everyone. That was one for them, the fans. They are probably starting to believe now in this competition. I said to the players after, when are you going to get a better chance to play at Wembley? which is where the Vars final is played. You never know in your careers whether you'll get a chance to play there. The Vars has not been a priority for us, and it still isn't. But when you reach this stage, your mind switches a little bit, and this is probably the best opportunity we will all get. It was cup fever today, and it was great. Such a good afternoon. The competition now moves into the national stage, and the city could now face trips to London, Falmouth, Kent, or even Jersey in the round of 16. The draw was made live on TalkSport 2 on Monday, and I confess that I can't tell you who they drew. drew. There it is. Thank you very much, Phil. Well, that concludes all the news and sport for the week, and we will move seamlessly onto the birthday file. And as we don't have any birthdays for this week, or leading on from this week, I thought we should say happy birthday belatedly, belatedly, to all those people who missed out having their names read out last week because we had to cancel our recording. So, to Brenda Doe on the 15th, Dennis Page on the 16th, Patricia Williams on the 17th, and Valerie Daniel, 80th birthday coming up on the 20th. All of you, I hope those whose birthdays have been and gone, you had a wonderful day. And Valerie, yours is to come in a couple of days' time. I hope you have a very special celebration. We'll be thinking of you all. Happy birthday. And before we do the thought for the week, I will just give you the sunrise and sunset times. So for tomorrow, Friday the 19th of January, the sun will be rising at 0808. And it will set at 1630. We're just beginning to feel that there is a bit more light, I think, in the day, aren't we? We're definitely over that really dark kind of time of the year. So, Phil, I think you've got our thought for the week. I do, Pips, and it's from Psalm 95, verses 1 to 5. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Thank you. And that brings us to the end of this week's recording. I would like to thank Catherine and Phil for being wonderful readers, and also our production team on the other side of the glass, John and Michael, for doing a grand job. And, of course, not forgetting Carol and her irreplaceable admin and copying team. For without them, you would not receive our recordings. And that just leaves me to say goodbye from me, Pippa and Catherine. And goodbye from me and Phil. Bye. 
Denise Crump suddenly passed away on the 21st of December, aged 70 years. The funeral service will take place at St Augustine's Church, Dodder Hill, on Monday the 29th of January at 11.30am, followed by interment at St Mary's Churchyard. Family, friends only, donations if desired to Chadsgrove School, Bromsgrove, and all inquiries to James Giles and Sons Limited, Droitwich, 01905 783 188. Judith Holden, teacher, musician and actor, gently passed away at her home shortly before Christmas. Her funeral will be held at Worcester Crematorium on Friday 19th of January at 2.30. Donations have so desired to Cancer Research UK and all inquiries to AV Band, Droitwich Spa, telephone 01905 794 675. Matthew Anthony Laverty, formerly of Tudorway, Gradines Green and ex-Metal Castings, passed away at Juniper House on the 19th of December, aged 83 years. The funeral service will be at Worcester Crematorium on Friday the 19th of January at 12.15. No flowers by request, please but donations if desired for St Richard's Hospice may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 68-70, Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3, 7EU. Arthur Lee passed away on the 30th of December, aged 97. Will be sadly missed by all family and friends. Funeral service to take place at St John in Bedwardine, Worcester on Monday the 12th of February at 11.30. Family, friends only, family flowers only. Donations may be made to St John in the Bedwardine, Worcester and all inquiries to James Giles and Sons Limited, Droitwich, 01905-783-188. Margaret Burgess Clark passed away on the 21st of December. The funeral service has already been held at Worcester Crematorium last Wednesday, but donations in memory of Margaret can be sent to the British Heart Foundation. All other inquiries to AV Band Funeral Directors, Worcester 01905 22892. Margaret Bell passed away on the 25th of December and her funeral service was at Wye Forest Crematorium last Wednesday. Uh, donations, if desired, please, can be sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU. Josephine Derry passed away on the 8th of January. Her funeral will be held at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday the 30th of January at 11.30. Family flowers only, donations to Cancer Research and Dementia UK. Donations can be sent to AV Band, 41 Nicholas, St. Nicholas Street, Worcester, WR11UW, up until the day of the funeral. Frances May Janes, nay Green, passed away on the 29th of December. Her funeral service will be, on, will be at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday the 24th of January at 10.45. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for Cancer Research UK may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU. Berenice Keegan, known as Bernie, passed away on the 20th of December last year. 
Her funeral service will be held at Wire Forest Crematorium on Wednesday 24th January 2024 at 3.30pm. Family flowers only. All inquiries to AV Band, Droitwich Spa. Telephone 01905 794 Nancy Weaver passed away on the 6th of January. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday the 24th of January at 1.45. Family flowers only please, but donations if desired for Acorns Children's Hospice Trust in Worcester may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU. Joan Morrish passed away peacefully in hospital on the 9th of December 2023, aged 88. The funeral service will take place at the Vale Crematorium on Thursday the 25th of January at 1pm. Family flowers only please, but donations if desired for Macmillan Cancer Support may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery & Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR 37EU. Lillian Marina Nash passed away peacefully on 16th of December 23 at home, surrounded by her family. The service took place on Tuesday the 16th of January. Donations, if desired, to benefit St. Richard's Hospice, can be organised through the Co-op Funeral Care at 17 Lowesmore, Worcester, WR12RS, telephone 01905-22137. Margaret Joan Truman, known as Joan, passed away at Windsor Court Care Home, Malvern, on the 31st of December, aged 94. Her funeral took place on Thursday, the 18th of January, Family flowers only, however, charitable donations, if desired, can be made to Dementia UK. Jeremy Seaton Cummins, known as Jerry of Whitbourne, passed away peacefully at home on 14th of January, aged 85. The funeral service will take place at St John the Baptist Church, Whitbourne, on Friday the 26th of January at 11.30am. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, for St John the Baptist Church and Parkinson's UK. Enquiries to Emma Bowston Funeral Services, 3 New Road, Bromyard, HR 74AH, telephone 01885 489 900.